Today, we're going to start the session with a conversation with Tay Nam, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Storm Ventures. Tay, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and uh, I'm excited to be part of it. Well, let's start by introducing our audience to yourself a little bit, and then we'll come to uh, Storm Ventures. What path did you follow to founding Storm Ventures? Sure. Um, in my case, I was born in Korea. We immigrated when I was five years old. And uh, I, I started my career in Silicon Valley at Wilson Sonsini as a corporate lawyer. And I worked with 200 startups, helping companies like Stratacom, others get incorporated, worked on their journey to sale. And then in 2000, uh, um, left Lot and co-founded Storm Ventures and have been uh, now uh, a partner at Storm Ventures um, for the last 22 years. So you have a very long history with the business of technology startups and Silicon Valley and so forth. So I want to start by asking you for a bit of a um, overview from your point of view on how that journey has evolved, how Silicon Valley has evolved, how the trends have evolved, and how you have evolved Storm Ventures with it. Right. Um, I think the the biggest change we're seeing right now is uh, um, uh, the cloud making Silicon Valley technology available almost anywhere. So it used to be that uh, uh, you, you would need to build an engineering team in Silicon Valley to get uh, the best engineering talent. But now with uh, uh, Microsoft Azure, Google, uh, AW, I mean uh, GCP and and with AWS, you can be almost anywhere and get access to state-of-the-art technology. And the impact of that is uh, um, now about half of our investments are outside Silicon Valley. And it used to be, uh, if you look 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, 95% of our investments were in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And Definitely. we look at our unicorns and half our unicorns now are outside Silicon Valley. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that is kind of the vision of One Million by One Million is to enable and empower entrepreneurs all around the world. We have companies even, we have a company in Tanzania, actually. Mm. Um, so it's, we, we have seen that trend and, and hopefully we have been a major player in actually enabling that trend. We've started working aggressively on India for a very long time and the India market has really matured. It's still in the you know major metros, but mm -hmm. we are in our portfolio we have companies from non metro, non major metro areas of India as well, which is a very interesting trend. Now where um, are you with Storm Ventures today? How is the fund positioned? What is your investment thesis? How do you want to play the game today? Sure. So we recently closed our seventh fund for $200 million. And so um, um, we feel like uh, with our new fund, this is a great time to, uh, to make new investments. As a firm, uh, uh, we focus on B2B software. So we've invested in over 200 B2B software companies. 12 have become unicorns including uh, European companies like uh, uh, Pipedrive, uh, Algolia Talkdesk, or U.S. companies like Workato, Marketo, uh, Techion, 
And so, um, yeah, we um, think B2B software is going to continue to go through a big disruption and uh, we're uh, excited about investing in that space. And uh, if you double click down a little bit further, um, where in B2B software do you see the trends, the deal flow, the opportunities right now? Yeah, so the big trend in B2B software uh, has obviously has been the adoption of the cloud. Yeah. And, and so as uh, customers are adopting to the cloud, which is a new compute platform, they realize they need a, uh, to replace their entire application software stack. Whether the example of going from Siebel to Salesforce, but basically the entire software stack has been up for grabs. And so we've invested in hundreds of SaaS companies, which is basically SaaS for X or automating workflow. And so I think you know that continues to be a good area to invest, which is um, um, just finding ways of automating workflow with SaaS uh, using the cloud. But now there's a, a, a new trend that everyone talks about is data and AI, but we see the opportunity as like AI for X instead of horizontal AI, but all these sort yeah. of applications. And we think that there's going to be tens of thousands of opportunities in terms of AI for X. That's great. Um, and you are comfortable investing in the nuances of uh, SaaS, AI, AI for S. Um, how about you know, two trends that, that have, you know, come on my radar quite interestingly are platform as a service, for instance. Mm -hmm. And that's a slightly different than, you know, there is a vertical SaaS trend that is going gangbusters right now. So you mm -hmm. find different industry verticals where you have opportunities to do cloud and AI and, and you have interesting workflow automation, interesting database solutions and so forth. Um, I know you've touched upon horizontal AI not being as big uh, an interest area for you, but let me ask you, um, if you remember, Salesforce.com started off with a very niche solution, mm -hmm. although it's a very large market, which is CRM, right? Cloud-based mm -hmm. CRM. But then they also opened up their platform and they have spawned a lot of companies, including some very large players, like the Vivas and the mm -hmm. Velocities of the world, these are all unicorns that were based, built on top of the Salesforce.com platform. Mm -hmm. So that path trend is one that I'm very interested in uh, because of something you said earlier about the technology stack. You know, the technology stack is complex. Mm -hmm. And if you have to build the full stack, it becomes very expensive. So mm -hmm. this, is, this has been kind of the draw of these PaaS solutions, and there have been a few other PaaS platforms that have matured a little bit more. Atlassian has developed a PaaS strategy, and um, Twilio has developed a PaaS strategy, and both of those have done quite well. Shopify has a bit of a PaaS strategy. So there's, you know, Salesforce.com remains the PaaS, uh, you know, success story. How do you read this trend? Is this something that is showing up on your deal flow and uh, in your conversations? Are companies starting to think about replicating the Salesforce.com path strategy? 
Well, becoming the dominant platform is the dream of everyone and then earning monopoly profits, you know. The best example of that is Apple with, uh, you know, with yes. uh, uh, their app I, system. I, yeah. So, you know, becoming the platform is fantastic. It's just that what we found is, is that it's rare for startups to become the platform in the first few years. Right. Um, and that becoming a platform, so it's like uh, we invest in seed in Series A, and so there it's like, uh, you know, a, a child, you know, how, how to get to preschool, you know, how to get into uh, uh, kindergarten. And our, our hope is that they will become a platform, um, the platform. And usually, you know, that's when they're more about middle age. And so th that is the aspiration. I mean, we have companies like uh, TalkDesk in the call center space, which is uh, on the path to becoming the platform there. So absolutely, do we think that becoming a platform is fantastic? Absolutely. Do we think startups can get become the platform first? We generally don't see that. We see that they have a killer application, they do something else, and then they can grow into a platform. I don't believe that seed and series A startups should be trying to become platform companies. It's more in maybe series C, series D, or post IPO is when post -IPO. I think companies, yes. Yeah, yes. they start looking at the platform strategy. Yes. What about the other side of this past nuance? Are you seeing companies that are, let's say, doing vertical SaaS? in some domain or AI plus vertical SaaS in some domain, but are building on top of another stack, another platform? Well, in, absolutely. I mean, the, the platform that, you know, almost all build on top is a cloud. So, you know, the, uh, the, the cloud is like uh, AWS or uh, Google or uh, so forth. Um, Yes, I mean, vertical SaaS has been a very good area for us. You know, we have like uh, uh, a banking as a service unicorn out of Germany um, called uh, uh, Solaris Bank. We're in uh, an auto CRM uh, unicorn called Techion. You know, they just raised a few billion dollars. Um, we have a, a bunch of companies in digital health uh, like Qualio and others. And so, uh, Vertical SaaS uh, uh, has been a great area for us, and we continue to think it's good. Um, the reason why I, I was separating like AI horizontal and vertical is there's going to be a tremendous need for horizontal AI. So mm -hmm. the, the need is going to be there. The challenge that I see is the cloud companies who tend to have the best AI, in other words, like Google or Amazon or Microsoft have the best AI. Um, and so they're in the position to make the best horizontal AI will make it free. Like Google did yes. with TensorFlow because yes. it's a way of attracting customers to their platform, which is their cloud and monetizing right. and it. And Microsoft there. Azure has a very strong commitment to incorporating AI into their cloud platform. So that's yes. the strategy that they're trying to follow. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, their goal is to get everyone on their cloud 
And so they're going to make as much free as possible to entice people to get on their cloud. And, and yeah. so that's why uh, we're reluctant to invest in horizontal AI, not because it's not a good area, but mm -hmm. we think that economically it'll be tough to compete with the big platforms in, in that mm -hmm. area. Whereas when it comes to the application, um, the the uh, the cloud companies are not going to go into the application layer because there's just so many applications. Right, right, yeah. And how do you read the open source trends? The commercial open source trend has also been going gangbusters, and a lot of interesting companies have come mm -hmm. up to that trend. What are you seeing in your deal flow? I think open source is great. I mean, you know, clearly you got Databricks and others that have become very successful unicorns. Um, you know, customers like open source. So at the end of the day, it's good uh, uh, because you want to go what customers like. The, the challenge is uh, just if it's open source, then, uh, um, you know, how do you compete with your competitors? Um, especially if uh, a, a big platform decides to adopt the open source. So that's what we, we look at is we like open source as long as we believe that uh, the company could still have a differentiated position that will generate uh, uh, a meaningful business for them. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I've actually had open source conversations with a number of uh, uh, VCs who, who are really enjoying the open source business model, partly because of the immense lead generation capability mm -hmm. of the open source business, right? If you can find a, a good freemium model where people start with free and then, but there is enough additional stuff that they have to buy from the company by paying for it, then it's a terrific lead generation mechanism. And that's what, that's the big draw for most, most investors on the open source front. Absolutely. That's it. It helps there. It just, you just need to have a good monetization and profit engine at the back, back end. Yeah, I'm going to switch gears a little bit from trends to a specific investment strategy of how you like to invest. Seed mm -hmm. Series A is your sweet spot. What qualifies as a seed, uh, as an attractive seed investment? What do you want to see in the company? You want to see paying customers? You want to see a certain MRR rate? You want to see a certain ARR rate? What, what is a good seed deal for you? Right. So maybe uh, um, I could turn that around and explain our two deal filters, because sure. uh, when we look at companies, we actually don't look at a seed or series A or series B. Um, we, we look at those as like terms that were invented by lawyers. Like, you know, when I was a corporate lawyer, we would, you know, do those financings. Instead, what we look at is uh, we asked is, does a company have product market fit? And do they have go-to-market fit where they can unlock growth? And once a company has unlocked growth and is on the path where they're scaling to becoming the category leader. And so we, we, we look at those sort of stages and we analyze the company in that manner. Um, I would say for us about uh, uh, a third of investments right now are in companies that are pre-revenue, so pre-product market fit. And those companies, though, tend to either have a founder that we really believe in, 
Mm -hmm. because maybe because we worked with before, but, you know, a founder that we really believe in, or it's a space that we really want, we feel we have to have an investment. So Mm -hmm. about a third, as I said, our uh, 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 pre-revenue, so clearly pre-product market fit. And the the two-thirds that we invest, um, as I mentioned, we're in B2B software. And we look for companies that we feel have product market fit and that we can help them find go-to-market fit. Do you have a metric to gauge that you have product market fit? You know, we look at, uh, usually it's around a million in ARR, but it could be a half a million, it could be two million, but, you know, it's typically one million ARR and 20 customers. Okay. All right. That's what I was looking for. I think uh, that one million ARR is a magic number that unlocks a lot of options for entrepreneurs. So, so It does. It's just that for us. To this number. <laughs> right. It's just that for us, there are just so many software, B2B software companies at a million ARR that uh, uh, as a firm, we just feel overwhelmed with the number of company deals in that area. So when you see the deal flowers have a lot of 1 million ARR companies, what is the next filter that you put on it to decide which of those myriad 1 million ARR companies that you want to go into? Yeah. So we stepping back for a second, the question we ask is, do we think this company can become the category leader? If they you know, can become a category leader, we tend to do well. And so we asked the question first is, are there in a space that we believe can become a category? Yeah. You know, Gartner or Forrester. Defining or the or category the is important. Yeah, we'll, we'll define it as a category versus like a feature or something like that. So the first thing is we ask us, do we believe that they can be, you know, this space will become a category? And then the second question we ask is, do we think they can become the leader? And uh, the first step to becoming the leader is, will they unlock growth? So we really dig into how close, once we believe is a category, then we ask, you know, can they unlock growth and how we can help them unlock growth? And do they have the right product vision to be, and the roadmap to become that leader? And then the last question, the third is, can the founder get me there? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um- Let's double click down on those last two points. One is unlocking growth. What, uh-huh. uh, what trends are you seeing in SaaS companies finding uh, growth strategies? What are the primary customer acquisition channels that you're seeing that are producing really well? There are different ways that people can make it work. I mean, go-to-market strategies, you know, whether you're using product-led growth, you're using outbound, inbound, uh, um, they're, they're different mechanisms. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we just want to have one that we feel is really going to work for them. But are you seeing any, any of them coming up repeatedly right now? And we've gone through many, many cycles. There was a, at one point Google search was a big one, but now Google search has become very expensive. Um, so I don't, I, I'm hearing less as the Google search led, led growth. I do hear a lot of inbound with content marketing and capturing the organic right. 
I, I guess all those things have become uh, uh, expensive too, and but they can work. Is uh, um, um, what we've been working with our companies on is actually a methodology in terms of how to unlock growth and uh, a framework that works, which is uh, um, uh, how you go from like paddling to surfing. Paddling is, you know, you burn a lot of energy to go a short distance, and when you surf, you feel that momentum and you can push. And so paddling is when we see a lot of founder-led growth where founders are selling, and then founders yep. are saying, in order to scale, we got to hire people like me or just be like me. And so um, we're looking for ways in which how you can go from that to some sort of repeatable simple, repeatable go-to-market motion. And we look at that as uh, documenting in a one-page playbook so that uh, you can have this uh, uh, simple, repeatable motion that could result in leveraging search. It could result in content marketing. It could result in uh, different, like, different tactics. But uh, uh, the challenge is, how do you come with this uh, uh, simple, repeatable playbook that works? And uh, uh, to do that, going back to the surfing metaphor, in order to surf, you have to read the wave, which is the wave is the customer. And yeah. so I, I feel like a go-to-market strategy where you lead with... Uh, uh, we're going to do search, or we're going to do product-led growth. We're going to uh, 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 use uh, inbound. I think it's ultimately going to struggle because the better way of looking at it is let's look at our customer as the wave, understand what the customer really wants, and then we deliver that, and that allows them to ca us to catch the wave. So. Um in terms of, again, writing checks, when you are ready to write checks, this process that you're talking about involves a lot of experimentation. You know, founders, founder-led growth is one thing, but going and finding that scalable path is, um, it takes a lot of experimentation, There's a lot of digital marketing experiments that go on before mm -hmm. entrepreneurs find that, uh, that you know, go-to-market fit, so to speak, go-to-market mm -hmm. scalability, repeatability. Yes. yes. you expect that exercise of experimentation to be finished before people come to you for funding? Uh, no. We, uh, we feel like we're very good at that experimentation. Okay. And uh, uh, so we invest, primarily invest in companies that we believe have product market fit but have mm -hmm. not unlocked growth yet so mm -hmm. that we can help them with that experimentation um, to help them unlock growth. Because once you unlock growth, you're like this hot person at the party and everyone wants you, you know? Yeah, all right. these investors want to invest in you, you know, great people want to join you, all that. So, you know, we know that once a company unlocks growth, then it's a, it's a different game. Now, what is the VC's role in this experimentation? You say you are very good at helping your portfolio companies unlock growth. So help me understand what, what uh, form does that help take? Um, because, you know, in my experience, you have to go sit and run all kinds of 
you know, campaigns and, and this and that to figure out which one is sticking. You have to do the metrics and, and it's like a lot of weed work, which VCs don't tend to get involved in. So when you say right. help I, I guess we that, look at it uh, differently. First of all, uh, we're highly motivated because if they unlock growth, we tend to make money. And yes. if they don't unlock growth, we tend to lose money. And, uh, you know, we've had fun, like one fund's at 11x. We have another fund that's at almost 6x. You know, all our funds are top quartile. And mm -hmm. so uh, we're highly motivated to help companies unlock growth. And, and we get paid no consulting fees or things like that. So, you know, we, it's not like we're a consultant that gets paid. You know, we only make money if the stock price goes up. So we're highly motivated to help companies unlock growth. Um, and then at the same time, we don't want to be, as you say, the SEM expert, you know, the marketing automation expert, yeah. or, you know, there's so many things that needs to get done that uh, uh, we don't want to be that expert. Instead, we have consultants and others that we can suggest to the company that to play those roles. Um, so what we found that works is, uh, um, is how to help the founder CEO go from founder-led growth to this repeatable, uh, simple, repeatable go-to-market process, you know, playbook. Yeah. And so that's the, uh, uh, first we talk to them about this framework. Going back to the surfing metaphor, it's like, how do you read the wave, catch the wave, ride the wave, and then improve your ride with data? Mm -hmm. And so we share the methodology with the CEO and the team. And so when you experiment, the most important thing is having the right dashboard to analyze your experiments to know, yeah. are you going in the right direction or not? So that's yeah. the first thing is, you know, that framework to help you understand and evaluate your experiments and know what kind of experts you need to hire. So we do the framework, we help them analyze. So, you know, it's like teaching a fisherman, a person how to fish rather than give them fish. And, and then uh, uh, we let them uh, execute and then just advise them and then introduce them to the right specialist because depending on the company, they may need a product-led growth specialist, or they may need an SEM specialist. But then, you know, we allow the founder CEO to sort of understand the big picture, come up with a, the strategy with the team, and then they execute together and experiment what together. What is your favorite vertical SaaS company that you have invested in? Oh, I would say our uh, the one like the best is uh, Techion. It's an auto CM, CRM company. We uh -huh. invested in the company when it was pre-revenue. Uh, the founder is a brilliant guy. He was the CIO of Tesla, Jay Vigian. Okay. And, uh, the company is, is doing amazingly well. It's going to, I think, revolutionize auto sales. And this is a Silicon Valley based uh, Silicon Valley and India-based company, yes. Silicon Valley and India-based. Yes. Very good. And uh, is this a founder that you knew before, or did they come to you? Um, did the team come to you on their own? Uh, they came to us. We did not know them before, but, uh, well, actually, I take that back. So, uh, a person on our team knew the founder well, yes. 
So, so it's a, the reason you got to do that deal is because the founder knew somebody on your team. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we invested, you know, they had no revenue, they had no product. But it was a founder investment. Did you invest it was a founder in a, in a investment? Person? Yes. Yeah. Okay. In, in fact, uh, my biggest loss to date was in a company that was trying to do an auto CRM many years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Very cool. Great conversation, Terry. We will uh, keep in touch and, and okay. uh, hopefully start working together. Thank you. That would be great. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it here. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye.